from WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later in the program, we talked to a couple of people who miss Lansing's nightlife. First up, though. It's our weekly conversation with Michigan State University political scientist Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential campaign as we are closing in on just two weeks from General Election Day. Matt, uh, another week that seems like a year since we talked. Uh, we, uh, I'm wondering what uh, political ramifications, if any, on the election you see from the um, uh, Judge, uh, Judge Barrett hearing. Well, it doesn't uh, look so far like it's making a, a huge uh, difference. Uh, voters had been mentioning hearing about the Supreme Court nomination uh, three weeks ago when asked about the candidates, uh, but uh, have increasingly just re uh, referenced COVID uh, and the economy uh, and really aren't hearing as much about the Supreme Court uh, nominee. Um, there is some evidence uh, that uh, voters uh, do respond to whether their senator supports uh, the nominee, and so it could uh, make some difference in Senate elections. Um, but uh, Susan Collins, uh, the one uh, where you might expect uh, a vote for Barrett to hurt her, uh, may not be leaning in that direction. Uh, and the uh, Republicans uh, who uh, are likely to support the Barrett nomination uh, may not uh, pay for it. Their uh, voters um, are likely to split about the same as they are splitting in the, in the Senate races. The, the Barrett nomination results from a change uh, that we discussed, I think, last week that the Democrats uh, made when Harry Reid was majority leader uh, by uh, lowering the threshold uh, from 60 votes to uh, 50 plus one. Uh, and uh, now, I guess the question is, uh, if the Democrats regain control of the Senate, will they change that or will they uh, decide that they want to keep that 50 vote plus one threshold? Well, I don't think there's going to be a change to uh, the uh, nominations uh, procedures. Um, they've already uh, gone nuclear on uh, executive and, um, and judicial nominations. And then, of course, the Republicans did the same on Supreme Court nominations, so that, that precedent is uh, likely to remain. I think the open questions are, uh, do they pursue any change in the filibuster for legislation? Uh, and then do they pursue an expansion in the number of judges? Um, now, expansions uh, in some courts are actually fairly common uh, in Congress, but of course not the Supreme Court, where uh, FDR uh, famously uh, uh, tried or said that he might uh, expand uh, the number of uh, justices. So uh, that's an open issue. I still think it's um, unlikely uh, that Democrats will uh, pursue uh, either of those options, uh, but it is likely to, to depend on what they would get through uh, a Senate and a presidency that they, that they control. Um, one other option, though, is uh, to expand uh, the use of the reconciliation process. Uh, so uh, the, 
the uh, Republicans, of course, got their uh, tax cut uh, passed on a reconciliation process. The Democrats uh, got part of Obamacare passed on a reconciliation process. And uh, so there is a, um, there could be an expanding use of that where the Democrats pass a budget resolution that has within it um, the need for only 50 votes, uh, only 51 votes to pass uh, some major, major pieces of legislation uh, that they want to pass in uh, assuming that they control the Senate and the presidency. Uh, as the week ended, uh, Biden had an 11 point national lead over Trump. Uh, is that, uh, and that was exactly the same lead that Hillary Clinton had over Trump uh, four years ago at that point. Uh, is that predictive of anything or have things changed so much that uh, uh, anti-Trump people shouldn't be frightened? Well, there are some key differences. Uh, number one, uh, the uh, Clinton-Trump uh, race was substantially more volatile. Uh, the Biden-Trump race has been uh, pretty steady now for a year, uh, even before the primaries uh, ended. Um, and to the extent that there's been any change, it's been toward uh, Biden. Uh, Clinton-Trump, we were coming off the Access Hollywood uh, video, uh, positive performances in debates uh, by Clinton, and so there was sort of a momentary rise at that point, but not one that had been stable uh, for a year uh, now. Uh, the other big difference is that uh, the number of undecided voters is very small compared uh, to uh, last uh, time, as is the number of third-party voters compared to last time. So those are uh, two things that should make the race more uh, predictable this time than last time. Having said that, there are still the possibility for polling errors, systematic polling errors, like we did see in 2016. And there is some evidence that um, those polling errors continued a bit into 2018, that for example, in some Midwest uh, Senate races like Indiana and Missouri, uh, we continue to see uh, polling uh, incorrectly uh, stating Democratic advantages. So there still are things to worry about for uh, Democrats, um, but I would say the comparison to 2016 is, is far from exact. Uh, bringing it uh, home to Michigan, uh, Mark Grubner from Practical Political Consulting told City Pulse this week, it's over in Michigan. Biden is going to win because of the large uh, Biden vote in bigger metropolitan areas. There aren't enough rural votes uh, to carry Trump. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I certainly hesitate to say it's over because we have a few more weeks and the last few weeks have had quite a few events. Um, they happen to move things in Biden's favor, but we could have events that move things uh, in, in Trump's favor. That said, certainly if the election were held to, to, by tomorrow, it would have to be a massive polling error for uh, Republicans to, to pull it out. Um, so it's a, it's a reasonable thought. Um, I do think the, the demographic uh, and uh, geographic trends in Michigan are interesting. If you're looking at uh, the, the sort of swing uh, races for the Michigan State House right now, uh, several of them are in uh, the sort of outer rings of the Detroit suburbs, um, places like uh, far north Oakland, Oakland County. And so um, that does suggest uh, that Democratic gains um, uh, you know, have been strong in that area of, of the state. 
Um, I would say it's not, it's not clear that that's true statewide. Um, that is, um, you don't necessarily see uh, Democrats gaining in the outer parts of Lansing, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, the way that they're gaining in the far out parts of the, the Detroit uh, suburbs. So it could be a more uh, Detroit uh, metro area specific pattern, but of course that's uh, you know, nearly half a, of the votes uh, in Michigan. So that makes a big difference. Uh, we're seeing long lines in some places where uh, voting in person has begun, Georgia and I believe Texas. Uh, what does that indicate to you? Well, overall, we should say that the trends are toward easier registration and more early voting opportunities. Uh, and that's certainly true in Michigan, where a whole lot more people are voting early than they have been in the past. That said, a lot of people do want to vote as soon as they can. And so when they open these early voting locations, um, they often do not have enough <laughs> to satisfy the demand. Um, it's not necessarily true for us. Uh, so for example, there's early voting uh, going on right now in East Lansing and there doesn't seem to be a huge uh, problem uh, associated with that. Um, but there have been in some of these Southern states, some concerted efforts to reduce uh, the amount of outreach that these clerks do in uh, uh, big cities uh, that are likely to go uh, for Democrats. Uh, and so that's creating some, some long, longer lines. Um, it tends to die down a little bit. Um, that is, everybody goes at once at the beginning, but once, uh, once they know that opportunities are available, then they do eventually uh, get their votes in. But there still are some systematic biases. Um, African-American and Latino voters are still much more likely to live in a place where they have longer lines, uh, both on election day and in uh, early voting opportunities. Uh, if we could uh, survey the uh, Senate races, uh, any, uh, we see Mark uh, uh, Kelly uh, in Arizona with a substantial lead. Uh, what's going on in North and South Carolina? So yes, the, the, the Democrats need to, to pick up uh, three seats or four because they are likely to lose Alabama. Um, and uh, they are uh, currently ahead in Arizona, uh, Colorado, uh, Maine, and North Carolina. Uh, and so that would be enough um, with a Biden victory uh, to uh, generate Senate control. Um, but they also have uh, some uh, uh, crazier opportunities um, from uh, Montana to South Carolina to Kansas to uh, Alaska, um, uh, where they, they do seem to have at least an, an off chance of pulling off uh, some ep upsets. Um, the South Carolina uh, race has generated a lot of interest. Um, uh, the uh, Jamie Harrison uh, has far outraised uh, Lindsey Graham uh, there, uh, generating $50 million in a month. Uh, so uh, that has generated a lot of interest. Uh, that said, the race is still a lean Republican uh, race. Uh, Lindsey Graham is running two or three points behind Trump, but Trump is expected to win the state by seven points or so. Um, and so you still wouldn't bet uh, on Harrison unless you got uh, pretty good odds there, uh, but um, uh, certainly a, a, a possible upset for Democrats. And uh, Joni Ernst in Iowa. In Iowa, for we've got about Iowa where Democrats are also leading, uh, a sort of a surprise. Um, and you expect some consolidation of, of the vote um, that should work in Republicans' favor in, in, in some of those states. Um, uh, 
uh, might work in Democrats' favor in Michigan, where Peters is still not that uh, far ahead of James uh, in the polls, but you expect uh, him to get most of the support from Biden voters. Um, uh, same will probably be true of Ernst uh, and Trump voters in Iowa, um, but uh, certainly a big map for Democrats. We also didn't talk about uh, very close races that, that they have an opportunity for in Georgia, two of them, one that will continue after the election. So there's a, a lot of opportunities uh, for Democrats to, to gain Senate seats, and they really don't need to, to win in these uh, deep red states uh, to, to pull off uh, control. So at this point, if the election were now, do you think uh, the Democrats would win the Senate? Yeah, the current models have uh, Democrats at like a 65% chance of winning um, the control of the Senate. Um, and that is assuming some potential for change between uh, now and the election day. So if election day were tomorrow, uh, then yes, Dem Democrats would have an even higher probability of winning uh, the, the control of the Senate. All right. Well, Matt Grossman, uh, MSU political scientist, we will be back with you next week and see what has changed. Thanks so much for being on City Pulse. Thank you. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Ever since Joe Shoup turned 21, Max Bar in Lansing has felt like a home away from home. Shoup met friends at Max Bars and formed some great memories. Ashley Stahman used to love belting out karaoke on stage at Crunchies in the Avenue. The COVID-19 outbreak took their favorite things away from them. Reporter Cole Tunningly talked to Stamen and Shoup about why Lansing's nightlife was such an important part of their lives. Lansing local and proud Eastsider Joe Shoup grew up in rural St. John's. When they first moved to the capital city, they weren't quite sure what to do. They had to start a new life with a new group of friends. It was pretty intimidating for them at first. Um, it was pretty nerve-wracking. I didn't really know a lot of people in Lansing other than, like, some Instagram friends, which is kind of how I ended up discovering facts. <laughs> um, do you know what you first, like, went there to see? Was it a show? I think the first time I went there was on my friend Charlie's birthday. Um, they had, like, a big party at their house, and then they had just started looking at Max. So we all went over there afterwards. How long did it take you to become a regular? After I turned 21, it happened pretty quickly. Um, I was going there every now and then before that first show and stuff, but then, like, as soon as I turned 21, I was there, like, every day, every other day. What do you typically do? Just sit around and hang? Yeah, we just hang out. I, I always call it, like, just our big kitchen house, because this is where we all, like, all of our friends just go and eat and hang out. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> are there, like, people who are Max legends or, like, icons at Max? I guess it depends on who you ask who is there. I mean, there's, like, people there that, like, everybody, I guess, knows of, like, Space Chef Joe. Um, <laughs> like, everyone just kind of knows who he is. Um, I don't know, I guess there's like a difference between like Baymax and Nightmax. I don't know, it's like just the groups of people are just different, so it's, I don't know. So just tell me what you think like the essence of Max is and why you love it so much. I feel like Max, like all the regulars are just like one big family. Um, I can pretty much walk into Max at any time of the day, any day of the week. And, like, I'm going to know at least five people sitting at the bar 
Um, it doesn't look like it doesn't matter if there's a show going on because all of the regulars will just be like stuffed into one corner, still mingling while doing a show all day. It's just cozy and nice and home away from all my Christmas corners this one. Yeah. I like all the quirky features of it, like the golden dumpster and the cats. And can you talk about those? I'm gonna bring up the next cat. So they're like that's one of the highlights. It's just like standing on the porch, looking or something, and just hanging out. It's just all the next cats running around. <laughs> <laughs> they're cuties. And all the graffiti is fun to read, of course. How did you feel when you learned that it was gonna be shut down this year? Really, it was really sad. Like at first, I didn't really. I think it was going to be for that long. Like, I remember messaging with, a, with another regular from there. It's like, oh, I'm sure it's these dudes. They're all bombs together and stuff, but now it's September. <laughs> and oh, no. So we're all going back. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's just kind of, it's just weird, like, not being there every day. <laughs> How are you staying connected with the other uh, regulars? Um, I've been trying to see more about just like outside of the bar obviously because we can't reach there. Some of us will go to the app now. Um, I don't know, it's like at lunches and stuff. Can you give me like a anecdote that's memorable for you? If there are any that you'd like to see printed? Hey, uh, I guess a good one is when uh, it was in like January, end of December, early January, I can remember. One of my friends... <laughs> requested a Peppa Pig-themed birthday party. We had, there was like a no-show Sunday. Like, all of us just decorated Max with Peppa Pig decorations. And, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it was, it was one of those, those days where, like, random people would walk in off the street, see what the regulars were doing, and immediately walk out. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have, like, a best night at Max? Like, a favorite memory? I feel like the kind of the last night that we spent at Max before everything closed down was pretty memorable just because like we didn't even know that it was like our last night there. We were just having fun, totally oblivious. There was only like a handful of us left there and we we're all regulars and we were just like blaring the two thousand female music and just I don't know, it was just fun. It was like sitting there singing with all my fans. It was very uneventful, but just memorable because that, that was like the best way to go out, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you have any plans for when it comes back, like a celebration planned? I'm sure all the regulars are going to go crazy, but I have nothing particularly planned. <laughs> and me and a friend were talking about like, like for the first couple of months of quarantine, we were just like, do you still have the outfits memorized? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While Shoot misses their time hanging with friends in the corner of the bar, local karaoke host and comedian Ashley Stammen misses the experience of being on stage, with the lights shining on her and an audience hanging on her every word. As bars across the state shut down, Stammen went online to find virtual shows in Facebook groups full of fellow karaoke lovers. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of virtual karaoke, um, like on Facebook, but, and, and for a little while I was putting out uh, shows, like I was doing a smoke sesh with Ash, and yeah, I, I think the only thing that I've done in quarantine that could be considered like a positive is, is that I've tried to work on my voice and I've uh, just really like 
learned a lot more songs and, and I don't know, like I, I, it's, it's something that makes me happy to get yeah. through all of this. When did you first start uh, hosting these? When the lockdown first started, I was doing a Zoom comedy show and then I started doing, there's like a Facebook group called like Quarantine Karaoke. I did that. And, the, and really, I just started recording myself, mainly for myself, to see the progression and see, like, watch myself, you know, get better at certain songs and, and that kind of stuff. So that was pretty cool. So it was more for me. I think I haven't really done anything with those videos, but I still have them. We'll see. I don't know. My voice has always been something that I, I thought was my real talent. Uh, comedy is, is nice, but I feel like I have to work for comedy and, and singing, I, I feel like, just comes naturally. Where did you um, go for karaoke before, like, quarantine? Before, in the before times, in the olden days. Uh, <laughs> I used to run karaoke at Crunchies. I did that for about two years. And then I would go there pretty regularly. I'm, you know, still friends with everybody at Crunchies. It's a great place. Um, and uh, that, that was, like, my, my stomping grounds here in Lansing. Um, so... Like I said, I, I don't see karaoke coming back anytime soon because, like, think about it. It's, like, the most expulsion of, like, mouth stuff, uh, <laughs> science, I don't know. But I, I miss it. Like, something about it. Like, that community, you know? And like, do you know who Dennis is? I don't. Okay, so Dennis is, like, my idol. Um, he's this very sweet, like, I, I would say he would be another person you could talk to, because he's very sweet, he's, like, 70, um, and he used to go to karaoke all the time at Crunchies, and he's, like, a celebrity, like, like, if, if you've ever been to karaoke, you know who Dennis is, and, uh, I just always was, like, that's gonna be me someday, like, I'm gonna be that cool older person at karaoke, like, what's up? But I would probably also be, like, hitting on everybody. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what's up, baby? <laughs> so, but that was, like, I always joked that that was going to be, like, um, when I retired, I was going to buy uh, an RV and tour around America and, and sing karaoke and, and pick up chicks. So I've always kind of had that plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is a, uh, how does the karaoke operate uh, from your house? Like, what is a typical show like so when I was doing the shows I would prepare like four or five songs and I would do my vocal warm-ups before and then when I was doing I for a little while was doing a Facebook live show um and I would sing two songs one to open and one to close usually so I in my mind I have like this fantasy of being like a like a Vegas showgirl like doing some comedy and then singing a song and then like doing some more comedy and then singing another song kind of thing. All while like laying across the grand piano, you know? <laughs> so like, I kind of tried to make that happen in my own home. Is that something that you um, tried to do as a host of karaoke too? Like throw some jokes in between? Oh yes. Oh my gosh. The, the crew at Crunchies would always laugh because I would be um, like very sarcastic, like especially with really drunk people. Uh, and I loved to make jokes because it just kind of kept the night like lighter. Um, and, and, and I think that just naturally I'm good at filling time like that from hosting. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely one of my favorite things I think I've done. Uh, even if it was like frustrating, like dealing with drunk people is always a little frustrating. Uh, 
I always had fun and I always got to sing whenever I wanted to sing kind of thing. So it's like, yeah. ah, my turn. This is kind of a random question, but do you remember like the first time you did karaoke? I do. Yeah, actually. Um, one of the very first times I remember doing karaoke was at Waldo's, not that that's important, but in Kalamazoo, which is like this dive bar, like tiny, they sell like pictures of uh, like Long Island for like four bucks on Thursdays. So we were pretty tight. I remember singing, um, the first song I remember singing was Aerosmith's Don't Wanna Miss a Thing, <laughs> or whatever that song is called. Mm. And the only reason I remember that is because I was hanging out with this girl at the time and I was like, I'm gonna sing this song to you. <laughs> Which is real dumb, yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Tell me about some of the people you've met besides uh, Dennis. Like, what's the community like? Oh, the community is so supportive. Um, you know, when you think about karaoke, you obviously think, like, there's some people that are good and there's some people that are bad. <laughs> and everyone's going to sing, you know? Like, if you have the, the guts to get up there, then great, do it. But I love... Um, just how supportive everyone is and like how very sweet everyone is like oh man I remember you you sang this song and like blah, blah, blah. like my favorite would be like people who would tell me that they came to my karaoke night because they liked how I hosted or you know that kind of stuff it just always made me feel really special and I just think that that's something that I, I kind of was lacking like that little community since our interview, Stalman has had a chance to get back on stage. She now hosts an open mic comedy night Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. at Ellison Brewery. For City Pulse, I'm Cole Tunnickly. Thanks, Cole. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz, and now it's time to go out with some music, as we do almost every week. Our trip down Michigan's musical memory lane with uh, Rich Tupica. I'll be back next week on behalf of City Pulse. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Burl Schwartz, and...